Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events, worldview, culture through the lens of the Christian worldview. As many lenses have a prismatic effect, as you know, there are many ways that you can look at the Christian worldview. Each one of us is sitting in a chair. And from that chair, we will be discussing the Christian worldview. To my right, I have Josh. Hello, good sir. How are you doing? Doing all right. Yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Doing okay. So I think Josh will be sitting in the chair of culture today. Mm. And so going to be dealing with uh, the heart of the matter, the perspective that we need to bring to the world. And to his right, we have Jennifer. Hello. How are you, Jennifer? Uh, fresh out of work and looking a whole hot mess. Hair not brushed, but ready to go. You look good as always. <laughs> but uh, you'll be sitting in the chair of philosophy today, won't you? Sure. Dealing with the purpose, the reasoning behind why we believe. I get to ask all believe. the deep questions today. Uh, yes. And so <laughs> we'll, we'll be looking at the deeper, the plumbing, the depths, because God didn't make stupid rules. God didn't make stupid rules. They are an yes. emanation, a pouring out of his heart and his nature. Mm -hmm. To her right, we have a guest today, Mr. Steve. How are you, sir? Hey, man, I am doing fantastic this morning, John. Thank you very much. Glad to hear it. And he is sitting in the chair of politics. He will be dealing with the political nature of our belief because here's the thing. Christianity is a relationship with Christ, and that relationship should define everything, including the way that we govern. Because the government's job is to provide safety and, more importantly, the opportunity to spread the gospel. Government is God-ordained. Why wouldn't we be in politics? And to his right, we have Nicole. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. Thank you. Glad to have you on. She's sitting in the chair of theology. She's going to be looking at why we believe what we believe. So, and yours truly, we'll be sitting in the chair of economics. This is going to be an interesting one today as we dig into this, but um, if right now it's, it's November of 2021, early November, and there's a, there, there's a big court case going on with Kyle Rittenhouse. Did he mm -hmm. have the right, did he not have the right to defend himself? Well, we, we can get into the, the arguments, the philosophical arguments of self-defense mm -hmm. or versus pacifism, but the Christian should be about the business of looking at the Bible. Mm -hmm. The Bible should be the basis for why we believe what we believe. I don't want to address the Rittenhouse case closely, closely, because I, I think everyone kind of has had their opinion formed. Mm -hmm. Either he shouldn't have been there or he had every right to defend someone's property. Let's go with the more philosophical range. So today we're going to start off with a couple of verses, but before we do... As we look at these verses, I want everyone to understand that we are building a case. Some of these are very tangential that are used in the, in the purpose of self-defense because the Bible says very little on the subject. It, it does give us, I, I, I believe, a firm admonition to self-defense in mm -hmm. two, maybe three places. But there are some other places that we really want to dig to the heart of the matter. And I know Josh really wants to look at the heart. And, and, and that is where we should go. But three, three main points today. Scriptures say that our bodies are temples, they ha our lives have worth, and it is morally imperative to rescue those from the hands of evil. We'll go over those verses. Uh, point number two that we have today. The old law lays out a clear understanding of what is and is not self-defense. Mm -hmm. 
and three, with all that said, the gospel and our ability to further it is our goal. One cannot further the gospel when dead, nor can one further the gospel with a vengeful or vindictive spirit. And that's something that we really have to define. But first off, I, I, I think Josh wants to get 1 Corinthians mm-hmm. six nineteen through 20. Yes. So first verse that we're going to be looking at is out of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible next to you, please turn there. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So let's start off with this one. And I think this is the weakest verse of the day. Josh and I were talking pre-show, and Jennifer was playing referee. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) this verse is speaking to the purity of one's spirit. Now, this is probably the weak, again, this is the weakest verse. But if you look at this passage, we're on this earth for a purpose, to glorify God. There's a value for us being here, and we are to maintain that purity. I kind of want to go around the room and just not for pulling back from the lens of self-defense for a moment. I just want to talk about the importance of maintaining a pure lifestyle and a, a, in maintaining your body. Your body has a worth. And I want to go over to Josh because I want, I want to ask you culturally first. I, I, I see a thought there. First, I want to look at what, how has our culture valued human life when we look at things like abortion or even, even uh, euthanasia? Extremely poorly. I, I mean, if you look at the way that people talk to each other nowadays. It's on the not, internet, it's terrible. On the internet, it's really terrible. There's no such thing as a friendly disagreement. There's no such thing as am, 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 amicable. Yeah, there's no such thing as being amicable in today's world. But us as Christians, that is exactly why we are here. We are here to flip the culture on its head. We are here to show them that no, we need to we need to think biblically and we need to let that permeate into the culture. Absolutely. So to the question of life, and, and, and this is aimed at building the question of life. Going over to the chair of philosophy, you, you, when you look at, at some of the words that Jesus said, Jesus said, and, and again, I need to have this reference in front of me, I'm sorry, but he said, uh, one does not hate one's own body, right? Mm-hmm. Clothe it, you take care of it, <laughs> you provide for it. Just speaking to the value of the body, that, that, mm-hmm. that the body... Uh, the word of God puts on it. What philosophically, what can we derive from this about how God values our physical body as well as our spiritual? Well, we're all made in the image of God, um, and that's written in our hearts and in our souls, and we all recognize it um, instinctually when we look at someone else and we look at ourselves. Uh, and how we're to relate that to our physical bodies and not just our spiritual bodies uh, is that we are called to a very high standard. Uh, and it's, it's a standard that more often than not, we don't want to meet. It's uncomfortable. You know, we like to focus on sins like adultery and drunkenness. Gluttony is also a sin. Sloth is also a sin. That's difficult for a lot of people. It's difficult for me. That's one that I really struggle with. But we're called to a very high standard in Christ. 
Amen. I tell people all the time, I have never, I've, I've been drinking wine since I was seven with responsible adult oversight. I have never been drunk. I'm more likely to sin with a cheesecake in the room, however, than I am with a glass of wine. Yeah. Because <clears throat> that is where, or, or, or at Whataburger, those who know, know. Uh, but <laughs> but when, exactly to the point, we're held to a high standard and we want to maintain that. Going over to the chair of politics, and I glanced this a little bit with Josh, but politically, what is the government's job, this God-ordained institution that God appoints the leaders for? What should we be attempting to do with our laws to provide for the human body, for people? Well, Safe, as, Would safety be part of that? To some degree, yes. I think... Uh, we need to have, and, and we do have things on the books where we have, like, stand your ground laws. We have castle doctrine, okay? Some states don't have those stand your ground laws. We do have states that are moving towards that direction where, you know, you're being allowed to protect yourself just because you feel unsafe or your life is being threatened. As before, just like you mentioned before, the the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that's going on. Everybody's got their own opinions on that. We know how that's, you know. But um, there are a number of states that don't have those laws. There's a number of states that are moving in that direction, along with the way some of the people are pushing to defund police nowadays, yeah. and folks are looking to protect themselves more, especially with the sales of firearms going up. So, you know, people are looking for more defense means to take care of themselves. And could someone say that the government's job, what, what's not reserved, and we see this in the, in the, in the Constitution and, the, and in the Declaration of Independence and the Articles of Confederation. By the way, Articles of Confederation still actually in play. It is the Constitution directly references the founding of those articles that took us from 1776 to, what is it, 1891. Or sorry, 1791. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. 1791. Anyway, point being, would one say that it is the government's job to empower the local government and the family to protect and preserve life? The, just to empower and more or less stay out of the way, other than protecting borders. I believe that the government has given over the power for the family to take care of themselves on their own property. That's the, and, and that's how it should be, exactly. You know, and, and the states have a tendency to... Uh, take care of those laws themselves. The federal government necessarily isn't a, a lawgiver in terms of personal protection. Those laws apply under the states themselves. Federalism at its core, you leave local governance to local people. Exactly. And, and, and at some point we should talk about, you know, hopefully we'll do a podcast in the future about the, uh, the federalist idea and how that came out of Exodus. But for now, moving over to the chair of theology, 
when we are talking about any topic, and I just want to shift kind of on you here. When we're talking about any topic, our first recourse should be the Bible. Yes. But where do, where do Christians so often go with, with self-defense? We go to party. What does our party say? And I, and I don't care which party it is. When we shift away our focus from the Bible, when we take our feet off that firm foundation the Bible provides, what does that say about our faith in God? And what does that say about our relationship to Him? Where does that put us relationally to God? Well, I mean... When we put a man-made institution over the Bible. Yeah, well... I think that would fall under idolatry, wouldn't it? Um, to uh, prioritize man-made rules rather than the Bible, which is God's word, you know. And so, doing that as Christians, obviously, I mean, I think it's so normal to be like, "Oh my, I'm a Republican, so I will abide by these, you know, standards in which they hold." Um, but all in all, we're supposed to prioritize the Bible fully. And that's with everything, everything. Um, and so that's like saying to God, like, you know, no, uh, the world has made better rules, better, um, I don't know, standards as far as, you know, this goes, self-defense, um, which is wrong. And that's, I think, uh, very disrespectful to uh, God. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Very well put. When we, when, when we take that away, we take that agency away from God, we're saying that we're drawing an equivalency. Thing that mm -hmm. we're we're more than God, and that's something yeah. that we should repent of as and as as conservative Christians. So, moving on to the chair of economics, this is an interesting one for economics, and it's a bit of a stretch. So, I'll, I, you're going to hear me sounding like the chair of philosophy a little bit, but <laughs> let me say it this way: there is immeasurable worth in the body and the life's blood. And this is the point of, of bringing out this verse. There's a measurable worth in the blood. And so going forward, I, I want you to understand where we're coming from here. This verse is, is I would say, tangential at best to self-defense. But there is a measurable worth in the human body and in the human life. And so going forward, I, wanna, I want us to think about that value and how important it is in God's sight to protect it. We, we, we look at Genesis and we look at God in Genesis 4, how he responded to Cain and Abel and how he responds to the spilling of innocent blood is not a favorable look. I know Josh wants to have something, he wants to say something. Well, no, I, I just had this thought while we were going around discussing a topic. Self-defense, we think about it in a physical sense. Think about it as defending our life. Well, First Corinthians six nineteen through twenty is directly talking about self defense, spiritual, spiritual self defense, and isn't that what we're supposed to be doing anyway? Isn't that our 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 primary one of our primary callings? And the and the the dojo for spiritual self defense is the church. If I can be so crude, the dojo for spiritual self defense is the church. I don't want to. So many churches are the karate studio that gives the 11-year-old a black belt because mommy and daddy paid 40 <laughs> bucks a session for a kid to be there. So many churches dish out spiritual milk. We should be ready as Christians to defend our faith. 
We should also be ready as Christians, as, as we will see in a moment, to deliver the poor and needy out of the hands in, uh, of, of the wicked and our own families. Uh, Psalms 82.4. I, I, Jennifer, uh, sorry. <laughs> Jennifer's going to read it. Nicole noted beforehand that I, I, I kind of had an attack of dyslexia here in the notes here. I wrote 84.2. It is 82.4. Uh, Jennifer, can you get Psalms 82.4, please? Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. So, we'll start with Jennifer. Does this set up, at least start to create a, a, a refrain for maybe how we should protect those dependent on us? Yes, and I think that's a very important point and one that we're going to be touching on quite a bit today is the way that we should respond differently when it is talking about us versus when it is talking about us plus dependents. Those very well could be, and I think that they are, two different equations in some sense. In, in mitigating circumstances. Sure. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that even if you're alone with no dependents, although who really has no dependents? That's, that's kind of a stretch. I'm not saying that if you have no dependents that there isn't a, a situation where self-defense is still warranted. Um, that case may be made today. I'm, I'm not fully persuaded one way or another just yet. Um, I think that's pretty apt for philosophy today. But, uh, and I, I do just want to say real quick on the uh, church's teaching milk only. This is a little off topic, but it's not even whole milk. It's like 1% milk. It's, it's pretty gross. It's, it's, like, it's like watered <laughs> down milk. It's like almond milk. milk, yeah. It's watered down milk. It's not even milk. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely. And, and spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Thanks, Jennifer. But spoiler <laughs> alert, she's referring to, in some cases, in persecution. But we'll get to that. I want to dig into that at the end. We're, we're, we're going to get there. Sure, of course. But uh, moving over to the political chair. When we're talking about, you know, so, so again, this podcast, we're, we're, we're shifting a little bit in, in the direction that we take. We've been more current topic uh, before, but right now we're shifting more towards the root of the issue with things like defund the police, with things like, uh, with, with, with these movements that are actively looking to strip us of the ability to protect the needy, to protect the dependent. Is government shifting in a direction where it's, it's neglecting its calling, neglecting its ordained responsibility when we defund the police? Is that, is that the government abdicating responsibility? Well, sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yes, it does. Because, you know, it's also stated where that we're giving police or those in charge to protect those that are needy, where it's stated that there is a force that's used to protect those that are the needy. And when you're not, when you don't have those, the needy and the poor are taken advantage of. All you got to do is just watch the news or any kind of flicks on YouTube where, you know, some 90-year-old woman's walking down the sidewalk and some guy walks up and clubs her upside the head with his fist and then mugs her. 
the knockout I mean, game you know, is, is the who worst. Is that a, a needy person because the cops are not on the street and people are walking by with their phone taking a video so they can post it on YouTube or mm-hmm. TikTok or whatever their current you know, that, social and, media is at the time. And that moves really well. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of switch things up, and that's a very good segue. I'm going to get to the chair of theology <laughs> next, but I'm going to move over to the chair of culture. I want to ask the chair of culture, have we seen with it's, – it's not just to fund the police, but it's also that exact culture he referenced there where we watch – people get beat up and we post it on social media instead of getting in there and pulling the guy off. I, I was watching a video the other day. I, I forget if this was in the group, uh, group me or not, but I was watching this one video of this guy flat out all but crushes this gal's face in and the dude next to her does nothing. Uh, this is on a subway in New York. Mm-hmm. This, this, this big old guy takes a fist, rams it through this lady's face and the dude next to her does nothing. And there's a bunch of people filming. And you can see different angles of people filming it. Mm-hmm. What have we done to the value of life in our culture? Did you see that Travis Scott concert? Mm-hmm. Point, point, point. I think that pretty solidly makes the point. So for those who are listening who, in the future, yeah. Travis Scott concert bunch of people just died expound on that for just a second a bunch of people just died and there's people videoing people dying not helping these people out and also there's videos of travis scott not doing anything to help them out and in fact saying as didn't people you know, are screaming you know? for help and and he's saying you know what you came here for things things of this nature so right now we're in a culture that says i want to have the next big moment i want to I want to be the person who gets all the views, gets all the clicks. It's all about attention. It's all about entertainment. Nothing about human life. And and so in, in regards to the general concept of the sanctity of human life, I, I, I think you glazed it, but just real quick, what should our response be when someone is getting beat up, when someone is dying? What should our response be, especially as Christians? There's no greater love than this to lay down one's life for another. You should defend that person. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So moving over to the chair of theology. When we look, it, it, when we look at these cultural issues, again, I, and I'm, I'm going to keep harping on this today with you, but I, I want to ask you, when we take our focus away from the Bible, and we go to man's philosophy. Psalms 82.4 has a very specific, you know, I, I don't think it gets any simpler than that. Mm-hmm. When we start to put value on man based on, you know, social credit scores, go to see the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or based on, on their value to society, as some societies have done, uh, look at the Germans in the 1930s, 1940s. What, Again, let's, let's plumb this for a moment. Where does that put us when we step off the authority of God, of God's word? Well, whenever we try to do things independently and, you know, of our own will, obviously we're, we're sinful. Things are going to look very bad. Uh, things are going to be very bad. Um, it's just, it's just a lot of disobedience on, on our part, whether you're, um, 
I mean, a Christian or not, it's worse if you're a Christian if you disregard what the Bible says about loving others um, and instead doing what the culture says. You know, the Bible says clearly to not look like the world. And I think it's so common for us to live in the world and almost be a part of it, um, which is wrong, uh, especially whenever, you know, other people's lives are on the line. Um, we can't take part in what the culture says is okay, which is essentially just selfishness and not not standing up for others. Could one say that we have a very good model of this occurring generation to generation to generation in the Old Testament? Do we see what happens when we mm-hmm. turn away from God? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. We, we, we watch civilization fall, don't we? Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah, things are not good. Things, uh, civil, humanity is not in a good place whenever God is not uh, depended on and look to for guidance. God is not on the throne and man is. That is where we see our society fall. Watch it over and over again. And you want good case studies? Go to Judges. Check it out. Go, mm-hmm. go to Chronicles and Kings. Check it out. You'll see what happens every time. God in his, and again, you can go crazy with dispensationalism, okay? But, but God gave us opportunities to self-govern, and he's given us opportunities in every single way, shape, and form. It always turns out wrong when we take him off the throne. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the yeah. area of economics for just a second. Again, where are our values? Our system should be set up to deliver the poor and rid them out of the hands of the wicked. That is, by the way, that is the one form of government spending I'm cool with. To a certain extent, with with godly parameters around it, I'm okay with us spending money on security and safety, whether it be abroad or at home. It just has to be done in a godly way for godly reasons. It gets perverted all the time. Don't don't misunderstand me. But it needs to be for the right reasons in the right way. We need to deliver the poor and needy. So moving on to the next one, the next verse is Ezekiel 33, 6. Mr. Steve, do you have that in front of you? I sure do. Let's go ahead and do it. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood... I will require from the watchman's hand. So that verse is specifically about your spiritual self-defense, but it's referencing a well-known icon. And, And I know Josh wants to lend something to this. When you're looking at your spiritual self-defense or when the Bible's looking at spiritual self-defense, it points to something that is self-evident, that nations and family members have the right to protect those who are dependent on them. Culturally, let's, let, let's look at this two ways with, with the chair culture. Let's look at this spiritually, because Ezekiel 33.6 is speaking about the priestly duty to protect and defend us from bad ideas, to say, look, you're headed towards destruction but it's also laying a tangential revelation for how we are supposed to think about defending the powerless around us. So from a spiritual perspective, what does Ezekiel 33.6 say about our culture as a church? How should we be defending our church from apostasy, from ungodliness? 
And then how should we defend our, ourselves physically? Man, that's a, there's a multifaceted answer to that question. So a lot to unpack. Yeah, I, 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 I dropped a bomb on you. Two minutes. Yeah. Two minutes, go. Okay, so first and foremost, the way we do church membership, the process from which that goes about would help out a lot. If you vet people correctly to see if you're letting in some people who are going to potentially blow up the inside of your church, spiritually, I'm talking in a spiritual sense, and bring in and, and introduce this Trojan horse of false doctrine, yeah, you, 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 it would help out if we did a better job of vetting the, the church membership process. So that's one way. Secondly, we need to, pastors need to speak boldly from behind the pulpit on the word of God, on what is wrong and what is right, and, and just take a stand there. So two things there, just Chair of Economics chiming in just real quick. 501c3 corporations, they were, we've said this before, I'll say it over and over again. They were instituted by LBJ after the greater city's policies were instituted so that he could muzzle churches. If your church is a 501c3, understand that that tax-exempt donation is specifically set up so that the government can say, no, 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 this is a political topic. You cannot speak about this. So when the government comes for your sermon notes, guess what? If we've been living of the world for that tax-exempt money, we've made a contract, and the government can come in and take our sermon notes. So just a thought there. When we, when we align ourselves to the world, there are consequences. But you're absolutely right. Church membership should be about, is this person a member of the body? And what would you say about church discipline? Just short on that. We need to be careful on when we're using church discipline, but the fact that it's just not exercised whatsoever in today's world when we know that there's people in the congregation. Let's say you actively know there's someone in the congregation who's beating their wife. Are you just not going to say anything? Because that's, that's not defending the person who needs your help. And let's go a step further. No-fault divorce. I, I understand that divorces sometimes happen, but no-fault come on there there should at least be a conversation with the pastor why are you two getting in divorce you made a promise before god and everyone you made a promise but not topping on divorce so just moving into real quick culturally does this ezekiel 33 6 reference a biblical standard also though for the sanctity of life and the responsibility of both the watchmen look at nehemiah those were family members and the ordained watchmen people who were pointed to that is there a responsibility if you see evil coming to protect people from it yeah you want to go talk about ezekiel 33 6 go read past it go read the next three verses you're going to see that you're going to be held responsible for if you didn't say anything you're held liable for the blood so moving over to the chair of philosophy mm -hmm already kind of set a little bit of that table. How does 33.6 structure our philosophy okay. for self-defense? When, when, when we look at it, or how does it lend structure to a cogent rubric for, for self-defense? What I mean by that is when evil is going to befall someone, what is our responsibility and where, and where does our responsibility lie and begin and stop? 
Well, I think the verse that Josh quoted earlier about there's no greater love than laying down your life in defense of someone else uh, speaks to this perfectly. If we know that something is going to happen to someone, some great evil, bodily harm, spiritual harm, whatever it may be, and we stand by and we do nothing, or even worse, we pull out our phones and film it, man, I... I Pray God has mercy on us for that, for, for the decay that we've let creep into our own hearts and to the culture around us, because we are absolutely failing in the stewardship of ourselves and our culture and those around us that God has given us. Absolutely. And, and I will say, to your point earlier, the fact that Ezekiel is using this reference in a spiritual manner with the flat-out understanding that everyone knows what this is referring to and is on board with this idea, that he can use this as a, a, a parallel example for spiritual speaks volumes, I think, to, to the physical aspect of it also. It's not, we need to be careful not to spiritualize away concepts in the Bible. Mm -hmm. This is spiritually applicable, and that is the purpose of this verse. Mm -hmm. But like we were discussing before, it, you just said it, it lays the foundation. Yeah. So, going over to the political chair, again, when you look at how the Bible has structured, how God structured government, what is government's job? It, it, it keeps coming down to it. What is government's job when you have a watchman on the wall? Government's job is to protect the people foremost, period whether it is protecting them against enemies, protecting their borders from foreign enemies. By the way, watchmen, watchmen, watchmen. or specifically on the border. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. exactly. On the wall. Whether it's, you know, border wall. Or city okay. wall. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, whether it's uh, a watchman or a... Uh, border Patrol agent, same, I mean, you know, same principle, same concept. Um, and what they're doing is letting those know who are coming in, protecting those. It's the same type of situation. And it's being related towards a government entity versus a spiritual entity. Now, you, in both instances, you're protecting what is good for the people. You have for your person, your spiritual self, which is what they're talking about here in Scripture, but also it can relate to, in the, in the political sense, relate to the protection of the people and the country that protects it from foreign and outside people that come in and try to destroy your government or destroy the people in one form or another, however you want to describe, you know, whatever form you want to Absolutely. put it in. The, the Bible lays out a structure for society. The family is the nucleus, right? And then the local government is the larger part of that cell and the external part of the cell, the cell wall is the nation. These are ordained and put in place by God. And they have 
obligations in addition to the authority. Men, when it says, women submit to your husbands, it also says, lay down your life for her. Right. You, are, you are to die to yourself to provide for her. The government is to set itself up. Soldiers, police, military, they are given that authority because they are expected to die for the people if necessary. Just to throw in a little thing here, John, uh, the Lord has given our bodies, watchmen, they're called white blood cells. This is very true. This is very true. And if those watchmen do not react, we die from sepsis. So, Just something to think about there. It's a, it's a cool parallel. Yes, yeah, It is a good parallel. I like that. Moving over to the chair of theology. So when we're protecting ourselves spiritually, does that provide... Let, let me back up. When we're protecting ourselves physically, like Ezekiel 33, 6 paints a picture, how does that provide a picture or paint a picture of how we should defend ourselves spiritually mm-hmm. and physically? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was, um, I mean, yeah, it just, it's a, it's a reflection, I think, um, defending yourself physically uh, and what the Bible says as far as that, defending yourself um, physically and others, I think that it just, it mirrors how we're supposed to do the same spiritually as well as for others spiritually. Um, Especially if you're, you know, you take care of others, like if you have children or if you, I mean, just anyone in the body of Christ, you're supposed to defend them um, physically if you're able to and spiritually if you're able to um, and, you know, uh, enter them, you know, in that sense. Um, And I I was thinking about how, this God lays down uh, or lays out a lot of examples um, like, you know, marriage. Um, I think it, it, it paints a picture of Christ and his church. And so there's just a lot of examples in the Bible. Um, and I think that um, physically yeah. defending yourself and spiritually, I think that's another um, example. That the beautiful image. Mm-hmm. Beautiful image. And that's to Linda Josh's point. If you have someone, you have a brother or you have a sister who's in sin. If you say nothing to them, the Bible says their blood will be on your head as well. We are obligated. If you see someone breaking into your neighbor's house, if you see someone falling to spiritual temptation, you will be held to account if you do not say something or do something to help them. So from the chair of economics, I'm going to say it this way, and and just to pivot here. In 2020 and 2021, the year of recording this, this time frame, we're watching what happens to people when we take away the watchman or we muzzle the watchman. We say the watchman is evil. By the way, there are cases of police brutality. There are cases of police violence where the the officer is wrong. I have been subjected to this. And, and I, I have friends who have a certain color of skin who say, you don't know what it's like. I do. I've, my, my father and I have been arrested by people who were dirty cops. This has happened. One case was a, was a kidnapping, and the kidnappers were family members with the sheriff's deputy. And they, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible thing. I'm not getting into it, but I'm saying, look, 
it doesn't happen to one color. It happens to everyone. And we should all stand up to say, when evil occurs, don't misunderstand me. When evil occurs, we need to call it out. And when these watchmen on the wall do something bad, we need to call it out. They need to be held to account. But, but it's an ordained position, and they need to be removed in an orderly, godly fashion. That way, everyone knows that it should not happen, and it must not happen again. And so, just from an economic perspective, the economy of your worth and the worth of society, we want to hold that integrity together. Moving on, and, 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 and I just want to add one, one more thought here. Let's imagine, this, now let's pivot over to, to self-defense. Let's imagine for a moment that you're a watchman on the wall, or let's say that you are the man of the house, or if you're a, a woman in the house and there's no man there, if you pacifistically, pacifistically allow this person to kill you and your family, and this person goes on to kill other people, this Ezekiel 33.6 does lay some culpability, I would say, on the individual's head. But let's go a step further. Uh, Nicole, could you get Exodus 22, 2 through 3 for us? Yes. Exodus 22, 3. Okay. But if the sun has risen on him, there, or do you want me to get two and three? Two and three, okay. please. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But I want to get to the pertinent stuff. And by the way, uh, people talk about slavery in the Bible. Just going to nip this right now. It was a form of paying off debt. And that person was released seven years later. And if you beat that person, you were in a whole lot of trouble. It was the same as assault battery on a free man and they were freed at seven years but but josh is josh is getting excited about this but let's talk about the heart of the matter and and, and i know this is where josh wants to go if a thief be found breaking in and he's smitten and he dies okay this is someone comes into your house don't know who they are you don't know what their intentions are to your wife or your children or if you're a woman to yourself you have every right to defend yourself. But if you get up the next day and find this guy and put him on the ground and he's crying and pleading and you kill him, that is not godly. If you have someone who's stealing your TV and running out the back door, I would really question, I would question the use of deadly force. Maybe it's necessary. Maybe he's going for a gun out in his car. You don't know. If you make that decision in the heat of the moment, I'm with you, but let's be careful when we exercise that self-defense. Josh wants to jump in with both feet here. Speaking to the culture that we should have in regards to self-defense, to defending oneself, what should our <coughs> motivations be with self-defense? Should it be to preserve life ultimately, preserve innocent life? 
Yes, and I was the reason why I was getting so excited there for a second is because if you look a chapter earlier, I believe in Exodus 21, it talks about slavery and it talks specifically about if you do something wrong against your slave, you're supposed to grant them their freedom. Yes. And so, so that, I'm sorry, that's why I was jumping up now. But on the topic of this, so the, the word slavery in Exodus is talking about indentured servitude, not chattel slavery like the Atlantic slave trade. So we need to do a whole, whole podcast on that. We've been meaning to. We will. But, but to answer your question about Exodus 22, let's read that one more time. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him. For he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for a step. Important thing to note. So there's a distinction between something happening and you're unaware, caught off, ground, off, off guard. And an important thing to remember here is we don't know if this thief is armed or unarmed. And exactly. also, another thing to note is that he's breaking into a house. You might not be the only person in the house. In fact, more than likely in this instance, mm -hmm. in Exodus, it's talking about your family. It doesn't delineate, but yes. You can, you can assume, considering that a lot of the, the family culture was very strong in Exodus, so you, can, you could maybe assume it, but like I said, you'd have to, be, you'd have to go a step further. But, but the point being, it doesn't delineate, is that if someone's breaking into your house, that person does need to be brought and be punished for breaking into your house. And I think if you're caught off guard, then yes, but it gets down to the heart issue. And it's like what you said. Am I with my heart knowingly about to commit murder? And am I going to purposefully commit murder because I hate this person and this person just did something wrong? Because this person did something to me, am I, am I going to kill him? The question is always, again... Are you protecting innocent life when you shed blood? If you are not, may I suggest that you reconsider pulling the trigger or swishing the blade? May I, may I suggest that you look at that very cautiously. And it, you might be in your rights legally to kill someone, but do you have an opportunity to de-escalate it because you've brought a greater, greater force? By the way, having saying having a firearm guess what that puts you at a force multiplier advantage if you get them on the ground i tell people all the times all the time i've never had to actually fire a gun got to use one once in self-defense the presence was enough put the person on the ground waited for the police to come okay uh i've been I, we, we talked about this off the air just so so everyone knows i've been sucker punched i've been jumped people at the scene thought i was going to they said, we thought you were going to beat the crap out of the person. And I just stood up and I, I, I said, hey, that's not necessary. Don't do that. Freaks the people out when you do that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> totally gives them the willies. But uh, just so, so you understand who this is coming from, you have a right to defend yourself. But meet it out. Is it necessary? Are you stopping them from shedding innocent blood? Moving over to the chair of philosophy, hopefully that sends that well over mm -hmm. to you. What should our philosophy be? Well, I think that last sentence you said, that it should be stopping the shedding of innocent blood is key to this. If, if you are in a position where, like we touched on earlier, you don't know what this person's intentions are, and you're in a position where you have reason to believe that you are going to stop harm to the people around you, then it is your moral obligation, obligation to protect those people. 
what I think this passage is really hitting at is if harm has already been done to you or to someone else, it is now out of your hands to do like vigilante justice. That is not self-defense. Vigilante justice is not self-defense. Because what does the verse lay down? In in, in verse 3, it says you should make full restitution or be sold. Yes. Whose job is it to meet that out? The judges. Okay. If if you could not stop it in the act before it happens and harm is already done, that is now in the hands of the God-ordained government, not you. You have to make that distinction. Absolutely. And the Bible lays it down. We are people of order. And God has ordained an order and a structure to protect blood. Very good. Moving over to the chair of politics. That sets it up well for you, doesn't it? So government's order and structure that it's supposed to provide. What is the difference between vigilantism and self-defense? You want to expound on that? Yes. If we want to go... from vigilantism, from that perspective, if I know someone has been accosted in some form or another, say my neighbor, I know who it was. I didn't know when it happened, but I know that it happened. A couple of days later, I see this person. I go and I take revenge on this person for this other person vigilantism i have no reason to do it for myself for the protection of anybody what i'm doing is i'm taking the law into my own hand instead of relying on the instituted government protection of the people for the law that has been placed by God, for the government to take care of these type of criminals, for us, for these criminals to be taken care of. Now, if I'm using self-defense, that's a totally different thing. And say if I compare it to then, like when we're reading in the scripture, that could have been, say, a fist fight, or with a club, or with a knife. Nowadays, it's going to be someone busting in your door, coming in with a shotgun or a pistol, not necessarily with their fist. They're coming in with a gun or a knife, and they're not coming in with their fist to steal your stuff. They're coming in with a gun or a knife, and they're coming to steal your stuff because they feel like Chances are that homeowner is going to have something, and you're defending your wife, your children, and chances are 90% of the time, or I, I don't say that's often my enough. statistic, often enough. but often enough, that home is going to have a family in it. Yep. And, and you've you got to protect that family, and it is a man's right, and it's his protection given by God to protect his family. As a biblical man. 
I would say all all the above. Women have the right as well. It went most definitely. And I would argue, I would argue, uh, I would add a caveat to what you said. They had plowshares in that day, and that was what was beaten into a sword. Correct. You don't know if that person is armed, even in a biblical context. And if you want to take something like a plowshare, a hunting rifle, a sword, or a spear, a shotgun, or a, or a uh, uh, assault rifle, okay? Let, 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 let's be clear. Or Some a people, hidden knife in your people, pocket. People would come in with that sort of thing to rob and steal because they knew that they might be obstructed by the homeowner. So once, and again, I, I, w- I would go to the, the philosophy for just a moment. I think escalation of force. Is this now in the court where I now might die and my wife and children or my children and husband might take it because I didn't, because I didn't act? And that moves over well to the chair of theology. You look at the, the value here. The people will say, well, you're not pro-life because you believe in the ability to defend yourself. The Bible puts value on life, but could one say that it puts value on innocent life? Yes. Um, I, think, I think also the word helpless uh, goes with that, innocent, because really no one is innocent, but I know what you mean. Um, yeah, we're supposed to love others, especially those who can't stand up for themselves. Um, you see what, I mean, Christ did. Uh, even though we weren't innocent, still we couldn't save ourselves. And um, yeah, I mean. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is, you have abandoned your right to live to an extent once you've come in with the intention of harming someone else. You've made a exchange. You've now taken off, you've stepped out of the covering the protection of God's law. You've stepped outside of that protection that God's law provides by going against God and going against the individuals. Yes, engaging in risky behavior might carry some risks. Dun, 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 dun. So, <laughs> therefore, called of risky behavior. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Very good. The chair of economics would just like to say you have a, you've made an exchange at this point. You've made an exchange. You've exchanged your protection under the law by violating someone else's you have now taken something someone's safety for your own gain in doing so you have stepped out of the grace and the protection of the law of god's law now we're coming up on the final bend here i just want to put a cap on this because this is it's been 54 minutes in Thank you for your attentiveness. Attentiveness. I can't speak. Um, I, so with self-defense laid out, I, I'll go ahead and read Luke twenty-two thirty-five, where Christ himself provides an interesting, interesting bit of information. Luke 22 is an interesting chapter on self-defense, and you'll get all sorts of opinions on it. And, and we're at the end here. We don't have too much more time. But I just want to run through this. Luke twenty-two thirty-five. And Christ said unto them, When I sent you without purse, scrip, or shoes, lacked ye anything? And, his disciple, and they said, the disciples said nothing. And then he said unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise a scrip. And he that hath uh, no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you, 
that it is written, uh, what is written must be accomplished in me, that he was reckoned among the transgressors for things concerning me uh, have an end. And they said, Look, Lord, behold, two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Christ himself knew that the apostles would need to defend themselves at times. He was about to go to the cross to be numbered among the transgressors. He was about to go to the cross, and he would no longer be around. And he knew that they would have to defend themselves. So, self-preservation, one could say, is a commandment from Christ. But I want to temper it with Luke twenty-two forty-nine, just a few verses later. Our purpose is to act with wisdom in defense of ourselves so that we were bought with a price to share the gospel. Luke twenty-two forty-nine. In the garden, right after Jesus says, Judas, betrayest thou me with a kiss? When they which were about him saw that what would follow, they said unto him, they said to Christ, the disciples said to Christ, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. This would be Peter, if you look at other accounts. Uh, Peter was going for the head. You know, he, 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 was, he was not uh, uh, Thor. He was going for the head mm-hmm. on this one. But, Jesus answers in 51, he says, and Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far, and he touched the servant's ear and healed him. Christ didn't come to defend himself at this point. Christ was here to lay down his life. He was here to be the only worthy sacrifice. Peter missed the point of Christ's ministry on more than one occasion. We must also be mindful that there are times when our Father in heaven will wish us to be willing sacrifices for his gospel just as his only begotten son was. If Christ, in the face of persecution, was willing to lay down his life for the gospel's sake, the ultimate gospel's sake, there are times, and there may come a time, where we may be asked to do the same. If you're walking with the Spirit, you will know. If you're walking with the Spirit, you will know. So, I want to throw this over to the chair of culture. We're kind, we're, we're, we're kind of on the end here, so we need to be brief. But, there is a delineation in the Scripture. You're supposed to protect yourself, especially protect your family. You're protecting yourself it's for the sake of dependence. But will there come a time where we... You know, there are brothers and sisters in Asia and in Africa who are right now giving up their lives for Christ. Will there come a time where the gospel takes precedent over our lives for some Christians? Did you? Okay, so the gospel takes precedent. Yeah. And will there come a, it, what does that do culturally when someone from a culture might makes right, say you see? a communist culture or Islamic culture, when they see your meekness, when you've been taken and they are saying Christ or death and you allow them to slay you, what does that say? And I guess this gets to our third point. I, I think that something about the third point that we need to put a caveat in there for was martyrdom. And I think specifically it's the testimony that it speaks to that when you look at the reformation movement, you look at those men who died because they said, I would much rather burn than compromise on the word of God. 
if you if, if if the options are compromising on the word of God and compromising on who God is or death death is the is the obvious option there there are times where you will be asked where Christians are asked and it happens every day where Christians are asked to lay down their life and be martyred if we're talking about a scenario where it's martyrdom what is that I'll ask the question again what does that say to a might makes right culture when they see a martyr go in an honorable fashion well it presents the question why why did that person die i at least hope it does i at least hope it poses the question why did these people die was what was the reason behind their death and then it spurs on i and i and i think this is where the spirit comes into play the spirit doing that work of of, of asking making those pushing those people to ask the question why and and so it's a lot of spirit it's a lot of of, of, of forcing the culture to go into a position of is the current way that we're doing things wrong if the person had to die over over like was this something that we should have killed them over exactly moving on to the chair philosophy that sets it up well for you we're rounding the final bend here what does that do when you confront when when confronted with martyrdom what does that do for worldly philosophies like Islamic philosophies, like communist philosophies. What, how does that set Christianity apart? How does martyrdom set it apart? I think it sets it apart in that it happens regularly and nonviolently. I'm not saying that there aren't other people of other religions who have died for what they believe. But I think Christianity is fairly unique in, if not the number the, the number of people who have been martyred and I'm going to say all please understand me that of course there are always exceptions but I'm going to use it for colloquial you know understanding all of the Christian martyrs have have been that very passive um I have my firm foundation and 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 it's not going to move and it's not going to move in the face of death and and I'm not going to struggle in my binds I'm not going to fight against you I'm not going to do this or that I'm going to die believing what I believe and and that's that reason for not struggling is because you are submitted you realize and mm -hmm. again when the spirit moves, if you are in the word, if you are in God's spirit, mm -hmm. you will know. And, and just speaking to the question of, is there going to come a time where Christians may have to uh, forego self-defense? One of the main tenets that we brought up is self-defending uh, your dependence. I will posit that there will come a day in the end times where those dependents are the very ones who will be killing the Christians read Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, it's going to be your family members and those whom you love and whom you may very well be called to protect who are going to be delivering you up to the hands of your oppressors. Especially if we fail in our first ministry. Your family is your first ministry. Yes. Your children, Disciple your wife, them. your husband, though that is your first ministry. Yeah. Disciple so that when the day comes, mm -hmm. you are not parted from them. Yeah. Disciple.
Amen. Thank you, Jennifer. Moving on to the chair of politics, just wrapping it up, just wrapping it up here. <clears throat> okay. When we, when we look at how the scriptures have laid it out and how Christ himself laid it out, there's a time and a place for self-defense. The government often will try to take the things that God have, when, when man-made government is in existence, it will try to take what God has ordained and set aside for himself or for the family. How should we react when the government is taking away our right to self-defense? Boy. Just in, in short, because we are over time. We are in overtime. Okay, I'll now. keep it. That, that could go into a long answer there, John, but I'll keep it short. Okay. How should we act? Well, we've had a few instances in history how that turned out, but as of now, we should do like some of the states are doing. Um, so. One could say but we should we, we should act through the system. We should, we should make sure that we act through the system and look at our federalist laws. And we're looking at this in a purely political chair stance. Okay, we are a federalist government. Okay, based off the Exodus government that exactly. was put together under God's and supervision. We have states' rights. States' rights are about protection of the individual, your home, and self-defense. The states need to stand up to this, not necessarily for what some of the stuff is being done for the federal government to take these uh, personal rights away from people, your, your rights away from people being able to stand up for their homes, their family. Uh, like, for instance, some of the, the Castle Doctrine laws and for stand your home and some of these laws, Kyle Rittenhouse going on now. So, you know, laws such as this that are actually getting passed in numerous states that are going on. One could say that one should submit to the government in the sense of working in America, we have a lot of freedom. We live in freedom. And so one should submit to the system by working through the system to bring godly outcomes. Exactly. But we also have to pay attention to the fact that vengeance is not one of them. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, sir. Moving over to the chair of theology, just to kind of wrap it up. Value of life and the value of Christians' lives. What, what, what? Is there value on the human life theologically? What does God put the value on in Mark? Mm -hmm. Juxtapose those two. Yeah, so I know that's a I know that's quite a bomb there. No, could you yeah, it's okay. Could you so, repeat the last part of the question? So does God put value on our lives, but for what purpose? Mm -hmm. And does that purpose end up in, in being martyrdom? To glorify yeah. God. To glorify God, our value is Sometimes that ends up in yes. martyrdom. Do you want to expound on that for you? Yeah, well, um, our whole purpose is to glorify God. Um, and so as far as like the self-defense goes, you should preserve your life as far as you can so you can further the gospel and further the kingdom um, and also the lives of others, to protect others, to love others, um, all to glorify God and Christ and what he said in the word. 
um, as far as martyrdom goes. I mean, to die for Christ. Uh, I mean, that's that's gain. Yes. Yeah. And so precious, um, precious yes. in His sight are the death of His saints. Yes. You were bought with a price, and you are meant to keep that value. Talking about the uh, chair of economics, you have immense value, immeasurable value. But guess what? That value comes from a credit account. The credit was put and deposited by one sacrifice, the Amen. sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And yes. if you are asked to give up that immeasurable value, Jesus did. Mm -hmm. Yeshua HaMashiach did that for us, our Messiah. If we are asked to give that for his name, to die in a way that glorifies God, then so be it. But if someone is going to take your life ignobly on the side of the street, you have a right to protect yourself. If someone comes into your home and they are going to touch your precious little ones, you have a right to defend them. You have a moral obligation. You are obligated to protect them because there is immense value on that. And that is your calling. But, 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 I would say, and, and, the purpose of that is to glorify God. If that means martyrdom, so be it. Thank you so much for listening today. We appreciate your listenership. As always, if you have an argument that we missed, go ahead and put it down in the comment section below. Tell us from which chair you're arguing. If you loved it, like, comment, share, subscribe. Uh, all those good things. If you didn't like it, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Have a good evening. Bye. <laughs>